0: Understanding of your eyes would be enlightened. Welcome back to the Rootwork Podcast with Tiffany Malone. We are back with episode seven, episode seven, season one. So I thought I would share with you guys something that my son shared with me. So uh, my son, my son, Junie, we call him Junie affectionately for short. He's a junior. Um, he came home from school the other weekend. My son is um, he's 17. He's a junior in high school. But he's a lot like me in certain ways, and a lot like his dad in other ways. but he's he's like me in that he loves to read. He loves to read. He always has since he was young. And so he came home the other day, and we were all kind of sitting around, sitting around talking. And he was sharing with um, me and his dad and my daughter about a book he's reading. It's called Young Goodman Brown. I don't know if you you guys uh, read this book when you were coming up in school, but Young Goodman Brown, it's by Nathaniel Hawthorne. You might remember it. Um, if you don't like to read, it's probably an assignment you got stuck with, right, <laughs> in literature that you were glad to get past. But he's reading this book. He was kind of excited about it because like I said he's he's a reader and so he he reads these things and he actually gets them because he enjoys he enjoys reading and so he was like let me tell you about this book we read it was really good now if you know about Nathaniel Hawthorne he writes during the early colonial period of the United States during the time of the puritans i don't know if y'all remember them salem witch trials and all that but in this story that my son was sharing you know, with us about, there is a story of a young man named Goodman Brown. Now, another thing to know about Nathaniel Hawthorne, he's big on symbolism and allegory. So his name is Goodman, 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 right? And he just got married like three three months ago when the story opens to his wife, who is the epitome of purity and goodness and um, chastity. Her name is Faith. Everything good, and her name is Faith, it's more allegory, right? And so the story opens up where young Goodman Brown, they, they live in this small Puritan village, and he is scheduled, we don't know how or why, but he's got a meeting with the devil in the woods. And he's kind of preparing for this meeting and he's saying to himself, okay, I'm I'm just gonna go to this meeting and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna come into agreement with him. I don't know if this is like sell your soul or, or whatever if in the book, but he's like, I am not gonna, I'm not gonna agree to anything when I meet him. I'm just gonna have this one meeting. I'm gonna tell him, you know, now I'm not your guy, I'm gonna wash my hands of him, I'll never meet with him again. And so he tells his wife, I gotta go on a Journey. So he goes, she says, Oh, I, I don't feel good about this journey. I, I just I got a bad feeling, you know. Don't don't go. And he says, Well, no, I gotta go, but I'll be back soon and I'll I'll take great thoughts of you while I'm gone. And so he goes to this meeting, to this appointment. And when he meets with the devil, he has these intentions of saying, I'm not the guy. And so he meets the devil, you know, this isn't gonna work out. I don't think I'm the guy. Um, I would be the first one in my family in generations of good upstanding men to come into cahoots with the devil. And the devil says, oh, you think so? <laughs> because I knew your father and I knew your father's father. And suddenly young Goodman Brown is like dismayed. He's he's upset. He's He's kind of befuddled, like, that can't be. Uh, That can't be. The devil's like, yeah, yeah, I knew them. I knew them. I've known them for generations. And so they meet in the dark woods. And as they walk further and further through the woods, they run into some people from the village. They run into first uh, one of the ladies who is essentially what would be a modern-day Sunday school teacher to Goodman Brown and has taught him everything about the the Bible and everything about God. And the devil knows her. In fact, they carry on conversations so casually, it appears as though she might have met him in the woods as well one night and made an agreement. And he's just, just so shocked. And so they walk on a little further. And then they meet the pastor and the pastor knows the devil and they have this really casual conversation. And now Goodman Brown is, is totally surprised and they meet more and more and more people from the town. All the people that young Goodman Brown thought would never, ever meet the devil in the woods because they are good upstanding people until finally he actually even thinks he sees his wife, the picture of purity and chastity, he thinks he sees faith and the devil knows her. And at the end of all of the story, he sort of loses it. He loses his, his, his. he has an episode, he kind of loses it. And then the, the story kind of ends with him getting older and being this really, really cynical, mean um, guy. And my son was telling us this story my daughter remembers reading the story, too. And we're just listening and rapt attention. And it sparked a really good conversation because really the theme of the story is a theme that has continually um, made its way up to the surface in my life. And it's a theme that we see play out in society all the time and it's the theme of the question how do we properly view people right what is the what is the appropriate place of influence for people in our lives right M- maybe more to the point what do we what what happens what do we do when our heroes or our leaders fail us and that's a question that Almost everybody is going to have to probably come to the place to answer depending on how you move about in the world. For me personally, this question is really key to the really the story of me, right? Because I grew up in the church. I grew up as a preacher's kid. And I've said it when I've told the story before, I sort of have always been on this side of ministry, on this side of church. By that, I mean the inside, right? I'm, I'm I'm a preacher's kid. I'm married to a preacher. I'm inside on the inside of ministry because of music or youth or whatever the case. And so when you're on that side, you get to see the inside inner working, so to speak, right? You get to see what I call the soft white underbelly, right? You get to see how it how it looks on the other side. And what I've learned in all the years, of my life, of being on the inside. Um, I've seen a lot of things that for a maybe young idealistic person, um, early on, I saw a lot of things that disappointed me. I learned about human nature. I learned about humanity. I learned um, that um, people don't always live perfectly, right? They don't live up to our ideals for them. And for me, at different points in times, you are at a crossroads when you come to that realization, right? You can take a couple of paths from there when, say, your heroes or whoever it is, those people in your life that maybe you you looked to or that you looked up to, or just people. It could be for depending on the story, it could be spouses, it could be parents, it could be siblings, family members, it could be teachers, civic leaders. You know, we have a a culture where obviously leadership is very venerated. We also live in a celebrity culture where people are always um, wanting to elevate their status. And it seems that in, in our culture, sometimes we build people up just to pull them down. And when you... You have that happen to you. Maybe it's someone that you, you know, that did something very, very profound or special or held a very special place in your life. And when they disappoint you, you've got a couple of options, different roads you could go down. Right. You can go down the path that sees it as a, you know, a severe disappointment. Right. It 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 is disappointment. It Can cause cynicism, anger, right? Bitterness, um, and so many other things that are down that path that ultimately lead in hopelessness and just disappointment, not just in maybe the person, but in humanity as a whole, a a lessening of expectations, right? But I believe, because I've walked down that path before, that that's the path the enemy wants us to take. And I really believe that what's at the very end of that path for everybody is your faith. Your, at the end of that path is an ask for your faith. And all of the stones that lead all the way down that path are the disappointment, are the, are the anger, are the bitterness, are the feelings of being let down and the cynicism that results and the bitterness and all of that. But at the end of that, at the end of all those things that sound really bad, is the real kind of fish, if you will, the thing the devil's really after. It's the moment that you say, uh. Oh, I don't know how I feel about any of this, right? I don't know if any of this is real. I don't know if any of this faith stuff is real. I don't know if I want to do it. I don't know if I want to be around it. I think I've seen too much of it. I'm not here for it, Uh, you know? And for me, somebody who's well been in the ministry side of things for a very long time, I've been at that place where I've looked at walked all the way down to the end of that road and almost made that decision because I just had not responded well to the disappointment of people letting us down. And I think it's worth asking, what do we do? How do we respond, right? When when people fail us. The question came up, uh, for Jesus in John chapter six, a similar question or a similar thought, not that question exactly, but something I've realized over the years is that there's another path you could take. And the other path is the path down the, the pathway of truth that realizes, and, and it takes maturity, right? It takes time Takes time with God, takes correction, takes a look in the mirror at your own shortcomings, which is its own whole teaching and podcast, right? But it takes all those things for you to walk down a different path from the cynicism and the bitterness and the hopelessness. It takes a clear view to see that at the best the people that we look to at their best are being simply used by God. The scripture says all good and perfect gifts come from God, right? And, and when I was thinking about this, I was reading John chapter six. Now, in John chapter six, it's a pretty familiar passage of scripture. You'll remember that in, in John's account, Jesus has just Fed the multitude. He's done this huge miracle. He's fed the multitude. Right. And he then goes to pray. And when he's done praying, he walks out onto a lake on top of the water. Right. He just walks across the walks across the lake uh, in Jesus fashion. Right. In the middle of a storm, no less, after he calms the storm and all, all, the, all, the, all the miracle things that Jesus does. Right. And the next day after he's done this miracle, after he prays, after he goes out on the sea, some of the people that had been at the teaching and at the miracle the day before come to him and they say, they say, do something for us do it do a do a trick for us because we want to we want to see you you do some things like Moses did right do matter of fact make make bread come from heaven like Moses did. Do you know this is interesting because Moses, if you read the 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 accounts of the gospel and if you read through the life of Christ, you will find that the people the Jews of that time, the teachers of that time revered Moses. And for obvious reasons, right? If you read the account of Moses, I don't think there are as many miracles that were performed by any one person's hand, maybe maybe Elijah, but I don't think so, than Moses. The things God used Moses to do, incredible. Incredible the things he saw, right? And so He's a he's the picture of the mighty leader that brings them out of out of slavery and brings them through the Red Sea and takes them to their land, their promised land. He is like the icon. And this is the way the people see him. Even so much so that when they're talking to Jesus, the bread of life, <laughs> the Son of God, who just did a huge miracle the day before and fed them all that food out there when they were sitting down waiting, they say, do something else, do another trick, right? Because this is how we see, this is how we see our heroes, right? It, make, make bread come from heaven like Moses did. I love what Jesus says. The very first thing he says to them was, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did, And before he even engages with them in a dialogue about whether or not he's going to do any more miracles, he corrects their perception. He says, get your focus right, because sometimes what you believe about a person is just based on your limited viewpoint. It's not what it is. Can you imagine hearing being Jesus Being Jesus, Jesus who calls himself, you're telling me to give you bread from heaven, give you manna like they had in the wilderness. He answers them a few verses later. I am the bread from heaven. Can you imagine being him talking to the people who are telling them how Moses did all these miracles? And I bet Jesus is saying, who do you think was writing the Word of God on the tablets of stone, who do you think was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire? who do you think was guiding you through the will? who do you think it was? it was they were literally talking to who it was, but sometimes your perception of people isn't accurate it's just your perception and even as in the way that they were looking at Moses and they were describing him, Jesus corrected them immediately and said, no, no, it was my father that gave you bread in the wilderness, not Moses. And that is one thing I think that is key to helping us see people. The question on the floor, right, is how do we properly view people? And what do we, what happens when our heroes, or our leaders let us down first thing to properly viewing people is recognizing who the power at work really is. As we said, every good and perfect gift comes from God. It is God who works in you to both will and do his good pleasure. And every good thing we see, every good thing we experience, even from our leaders, even from those we love, behind it all is always God. And that's the beautiful mystery, miracle of it all, because God is able to accomplish his will even through imperfect and broken people. In fact, that is the very miracle that through humanity, God's will is still done in the earth. And it's very easy to get off track if you think that it's the person and you don't remember who it is. So Jesus corrects him really quickly and says, no, no, no. My father gave you bread in the wilderness, not Moses. Right. And sometimes it's also that our definitions about things and our definitions about people aren't right. Because, again, Jesus. Himself was there. He was there with Moses, he was there. He was there when the law was written and the way they have interpreted what Moses did is not, is not right, It's not correct. It's the same for us. We look at people sometimes, we look at, we look at things, we look at circumstances and we think that our picture of them is the whole picture of them, but it isn't. It isn't the whole picture. They have they have the account of the Torah, but they actually no one was on the mountain with Moses that 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 was there when Moses came down and his face was illuminated when he met with God. Jesus was so and the picture they see, the picture they see is not the whole picture. And that's really important because. Sometimes the picture we see isn't the whole picture. Sometimes what we judge when we look at our heroes is just our perception. And if you view people as, as though you see the whole picture, you'll be mistaken. You know, if you're, if you're a, a Jew in the time of Jesus, Pharisee, whomever, Moses, The law of Moses, following Moses, was very important to them because their entire religion and identity as an extension was built on, the law was built on Moses. When you have a man come who claims to be the son of God, whose claims are substantiated by miracles that no one can do unless they were sent from God, and he says, I am the bread which came down from heaven. You're at a bit of an impasse, aren't you? And sometimes what will happen is we will be confronted with the truth and we will reject it. We will be confronted with the truth about what we previously thought and we will reject it, right? The son of God, the very word himself, the the power by which creation was made is saying, Moses didn't give your father's manna in the wilderness, my father did. And when the word that created it all corrects their perception, they've got a choice. Sometimes we make, we make a choice, Because sometimes we prop up our stories about other people, listen closely, so we can prop up our stories about ourselves. So as long as we can make, if if Christ comes and says he is the fulfillment of the law, if Christ comes and says, I am the bread that came down from heaven, what do they do now with the whole basis of life and identity that they built on being the children of Moses, being the children of Abraham. The creator himself is here. And so what we will often do, especially with people sometimes, is we will tell a story about a person and keep telling it so that we can keep the story we told about ourselves intact just like they did. I I can see, I see us do it all the time. You could very, have a very real um, experience with abuse, with trauma, with some sort of hurt and some sort of pain. It doesn't mean you're telling the story, right? Right. And so there's a point that truth demands, truth demands your story. Truth demands that you write the false narrative. Truth comes against the false narrative. In the same way that Jesus says, no, Moses didn't give you manna, I did. In fact, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Y'all are gonna have to correct the false narrative you have about what happened in the wilderness. And he demands the same thing from us. In fact, that is what The gospel does. The gospel demands that you lay down your life. If you lose your life, you will save it, is what Jesus says. But if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. Your life, what is your life? It's your story. It's your way of seeing it. It's your way of being. You bring all that to the cross, crying, I desperately need a savior. And you agree to lay all that down. And what you get back is truth. Truth applied to your life. Truth applied to the false narrative. Truth applied and truth lived out. And a lot of us don't want truth applied because we're going to have to change the story about ourselves. I know. It's much easier when we view how we deal with people, when our heroes let us down to keep pointing the finger at our heroes and never accept that we saw them and not that God was working through them. That we put our faith in people instead of putting our faith in God. It's easier to have to say why we left or why we don't believe anymore or why we don't, why why it's all not real anymore because of what they did rather than to correct the false narrative and look in the mirror and admit, maybe I didn't see it right. Maybe because heroes are are wonderful and they teach us they show us what we might be able to be ourselves. Maybe I put my trust there instead of following them as they follow Christ and keeping my faith in God. And maybe when I put all my trust there in a person, maybe I I put my focus in the wrong place and when they let me down, everything went with it. Well, maybe that's not all on them. Maybe that's the truth we have to tell. That truth won't continue to tell the same story about them to prop up the story that keeps us innocent. That truth tells the truth both to them and it changes us. So that's really what I want to leave you because we're in a season, a trying season in the church, in the world, all around us. People are falling by the wayside, left and right. But one thing remains, the foundation of God stands sure. He has always been, always been standing in the same place. And that's with his arm stretched out for you. If you see it right, if you'll align yourself to the truth he wants to tell, if you will reject the false narrative, if you'll tell the truth that will not only set them free, but also set you free, it'll give you the perspective you need to put your faith in the one who never changes. There is no shadow of turning with him. He is steady yesterday, today, tomorrow. And that's the work we have to do along the route.